So the scripture that Matt will be preaching from this morning is from Romans 1. And I'll give you a second to turn there or click there. Um, it's 1 verses 1 through 7 and 16 and 17. Your uh, bulletin says just 17, but we're going to throw 16 in there too. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Moving to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I don't remember turning it off, but it was definitely off. Honored and nervous to preach Paul's letter to the Romans to you this fall. I believe it's the most important letter ever written. In it, Paul, because of his understanding of the Old Testament, and then after Jesus reveals himself to Paul, Paul teaches us the truth about the world, about God. Amen, Micah. That was my son, right? Yep. Old pterodactyl. In it, Paul teaches us, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, about the world. We'll have to talk next week about how broken the world is without the gospel and the renewing power of Jesus. And it's pretty profound and really encouraging because it means we're not as crazy as we think we are sometimes when we look around and are troubled by the world. But before that, he spends more energy than he typically spends. If you're familiar with the New Testament, <laughs> you know that... Um, most of the letters that Paul wrote, he was very familiar with the people in the congregation. Not always to a congregation, he wrote some letters to individuals. But he has not visited the Romans, which is why he spends more energy talking about his role than he does in other letters, except when he's being challenged. And he begins by reminding the Roman Christians that the gospel is old. It didn't begin with Jesus, though Jesus uncovered some of the things about it we didn't fully understand. The word uncovered here is the same word um, is the word apocalypsis. Like things were revealed when Jesus came in the flesh and then performed his miracles and taught and rose from the dead, proving both where the power came from for all that he did and that faith in him is the only hope for humans and even for the world itself. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Moses was known as the greatest of the prophets, and that's a good reminder to us that while prophecy occasionally involves future speak, more profoundly it involves truth speak. What's true about God, and therefore what's true about the world, and what's true about us, and how do we then respond to him? And in Exodus 19, after God rescued the nation of Israel, before he gave them the, the Ten Commandments and, and explained to them what it would mean to be a nation set apart to tell the whole world about his existence, he said, you remember how I bore you up on eagle's wings and called you to myself to become a kingdom of priests. This is a, a verse often indirectly and directly quoted in the New Testament, and I think it's part of what Paul's getting at when he says beforehand... He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Reminds me of the Transfiguration. Remember that part of the Bible where uh, Moses and Elijah show up? And it's very bright, apparently. And Peter, so human, is like, maybe I should build some tents. Because if it rained, forgetting that, you know, any one of the other three people at the Transfiguration probably could have kept it from raining. Part of the reason that Jesus conversed with Moses and Elijah, part of it, is so that you and I would recognize that he is the preeminent truth speaker about all the things with which he chooses to speak about. Not preaching on the transfiguration, but that moment is so disorienting, especially in the synoptic gospels, where that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus is being careful to slowly lead his people to understand who he is. And then Moses and Elijah show up, and the, disciple, the three disciples that got to go were like, <gasps> that's bad paraphrasing when I did the gasp. The gospel is old. Paul references David. We know more about David than any other character in scriptures. And we sometimes really don't understand the point. David was to be a representative of God's people before evil. The David and Goliath story is not a story for us. Unless we recognize where we are in the story, which is standing on the sidelines terrified. And we're so grateful that someone can and will stand in between evil and sin and death and us. David is a correction of a correction. The nation of Israel had asked for a king like the other nations, which is a problem because they were supposed to be operating as a church-state nexus or a theocracy, if you will. Instead, they wanted to look like the other nations, so God gave them what they asked for, a king like the other nations in Saul. Saul's story is a tragic one. God pursues him for a long time, and Saul ignores him, and then God gives them David, who led them in song and worship and singing praise and sad songs, he stood in front of them, for them, in battle in order to remind the people through the monarchy that God's a rescuer and a protector and the one who stands in front of his people. And Jesus was descended from David because God made a promise to David that he would never remove the kingship from David's house. That's ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And we will see the full clarity of that when Jesus returns. When Paul writes to the Jew first, I think he's referencing God's revealing of himself in Exodus 19 and even in Genesis. 
and the beginnings of Exodus. He's speaking about the order of redemptive history. God pursued them first, and then he opened his kingdom to any that would receive by faith the righteousness of God. The gospel is historic. Sorry, I was just catching up with my notes. In verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is reminding the Roman Christians something they already knew. The Roman church was almost certainly planted by men and women that were in Jerusalem when Peter preached at the beginning of Acts. And then they went back to Rome and were like, we have to worship differently. If this guy rose from the dead, and we were convinced their hearts were warmed to the truth of it, they started house churches. And they knew that Romans would be ashamed of many of their beliefs. Some Romans would criticize them for being monotheistic. Others would look at the commands of Scripture and think those are silly. I was looking at the Ten Commandments and wondering how many of those are acceptable in our culture. Honestly, I think maybe two. I think theft and murder. Like, generally, the culture is opposed to theft and murder. But the rest of them, not really, not if they're well explained. Take a day off where you're not productive because you believe God exists and it's okay to not make as much money as possible. Honor your father and mother, which is a, a challenging command we're not getting into, but it's there. And that has as much to do with adults taking care of their children, more to do with adults taking care of their parents, excuse me, than it does children. There are a lot of verses in the Bible about children and parents, but this one's about taking care of the older generation, which would have been remarkable back then. The seventh commandment condemns adultery, and if you know the scriptures, you know that's an umbrella commandment, talking about the Orthodox Christian sexual ethic, which is at best absurd in our culture. It's not absurd. It's true and good and the only flourishing way for a human. But in the eyes of our culture, it doesn't make much, if any, sense. Envy is actually how capitalism runs, or it's bad for the soul. There are a lot of things about Jesus that can look strange, odd, or in Paul's word, shaming in the culture, and yet we follow anyway because it's true. The gospel is old, is historic, and it's powerful. When Paul says was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In verse 4, he's talking about the baptism of Jesus. When everyone who was there heard a voice saying, this is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. When he talks about the power, he's referencing the power that Jesus exerted over nature and sin and death. All things that know his voice and know that he has all the power and they have none of it, showing us what his gospel will do spiritually now, which is free us from those things, and eventually eliminate from the world and heal the world of the effects from. Then when he rose from the dead, his followers knew that the power of his miracles 
and of his words came from the only true, pure power source in the world, which is God, who's also present in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Paul's reminding them of these things that I think they knew about. And as lofty as Romans gets, with its argument, with its explanation of the curse, with its description of what it's like to be a Christian in this world and be so troubled by our false self, Romans 7, and the hope that we have, Romans 8, it's also a local letter. I didn't have Meg read verses 8 through 15, because I'm going to read them now, because understanding and being gripped by the truth and power of the gospel as revealed through this letter, we must remember it's also a local letter. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I'm in verse 8, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. All over the world, people were hearing about the Roman church and their acts of kindness for one another and them shifting the day that they worshipped and them learning to accept one another, which some people believe is the main purpose of Paul's letter in chapter 15. He wants the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians to be a little bit better at accepting one another. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. If you know the story of Paul, it meanders a lot. A lot of really terrible things happened to him. Sometimes they're predicted, sometimes not. He had tried to get to Rome multiple times before. Picking up in verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul was confident that part of his ministry was starting new churches. And he was confident that the Romans would not only be encouraged by his preaching, but want to partner with him in that mission. Probably, he was expecting to go to Spain. We actually don't think he made it. If you read the end of the book of Acts and study it, it doesn't sound like he got out alive of Rome. But this was his plan at the time. And this takes us back to verses 6 and 7. His expectation that these Roman Christians, of whom he knew of about 23, if you were in church a few weeks ago, the end of Romans, he references a ton more people than normal because he hasn't met them yet. He wants to connect the dots of faith. It's like if we go to a new town, sometimes we know Christians, especially in New England where there are so few churches. In verse 6, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He's including them in his apostolic mission. Because that's what the gospel does, friends. In addition to saving us from sin and death, it saves us into purpose. I was watching a workout video yesterday, and, and man, they have some trite truism statements that are kind of motivating for a second, and then it's like, but then your purpose is to just do crazy stuff. And I'm like, you're almost there with your motivational statements. It's not a terrific antidote because I'm trying to compare it to something, but the world promises us purpose, but only God can give it to us in a way that will last, that we can be confident in, that we're sure actually results in love and peace and justice. After verse 6, he says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called 
to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is historic and powerful and true. And when Paul says be saints, he doesn't mean like our culture thinks, be really nice all the time. That's not what saints means. He means participate. Sing. Become better and better spiritual friends with one another. Be faithfully present as a follower of Jesus where you find yourself. In your family that God has placed you in, in your place of business that he's placed you in, in the actual neighborhood, be a follower of Christ there. With all of these promises, Paul gives it in a reverse order to the way I would give it, so I'm going to say it in a different way. Because of received grace, be a Christian where you find yourself. Because of the peace of God, which to borrow from another book, surpasses all understanding and is yours because of Jesus, be a Christian where you find yourself. Because the Trinitarian God, who created out of an overflow of his love, is yours in relationship with, because of the power of God, be a saint where you find yourself. To all those who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is historic and powerful and true because of Jesus, the preeminent, the supreme prophet, truth speaker about God and the world and us, how desperately we need his saving, how available his kingdom life is to us if we would but receive it by faith and then live in accordance with it. And it must be from him because there is no other power that can save us from the anemic promises that we hear about and see in this world that our false self would try to convince us of, Romans 7, that the gospel saves us from and into. When Paul talks about belief and faith, he's not talking just about intellectual assent. He's not talking about your feelings, though your feelings are tied into that. He's talking about an entire move of allegiance to God because of what Jesus did. In the book of Romans, he's going to mention the law 47 times. And by the law, he means God's moral instruction. And what we do with the law naturally is we receive it as God's checklist. And if I do this, God is happy. And the reason Paul mentions it 47 times is that's only going to condemn us if that's our understanding of God's moral guidance in this life. But if we receive by faith the gospel, then we get the law as a good guide to life. That's not its first purpose. Its first purpose is to remind us how holy God is. And that we'll never meet that standard, which reminds us of our need. Then we receive the gospel by faith, and we turn to the moral commands of the scripture as a guide, as a relief. Oh, this is how I live in light of God's love. And the difference is all about your motivation and your, your head and your emotions and your interior working of this. Because if you follow Christ, if you choose as an example to tell the truth, because God loves you and calls you his own, then that is flourishing. If you choose to tell the truth, nervous that God's going to be mad at you, ultimately what you'll receive is condemnation. 
Paul's going to talk about this in multiple chapters of this book. And the reason I references it, referenced it is because in it he says, for in it the righteousness, I'm in verse 17, for in it, meaning the gospel and salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. A very oft-quoted verse from the book of Habakkuk. Righteousness, which is part of the joy of the kingdom, Romans 14, 17, is received. Like communion. It's not us white-knuckled getting through life, not making mistakes. It's receiving by faith what Jesus did on our behalf. The Holy Spirit mediates that to us. And then obeying, not because... God's upset with us, but because he sees Jesus when he looks at us because of the gospel, mediated through the power of his son, and we receive that by faith. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached um, Romans, and it took him nine years. I'm not going to take that long with it, which makes it humbling to attempt to go even nine verses at a time, or 17. The gospel is the power of God that we receive by faith to save us from sin and death and into the kingdom life, which is the only possibility for us to flourish in this life. We receive it by faith and respond with thanksgiving. Would you pray with me? Father, we long to be grasped by your fatherly care and affection and patience and kindness for us. Jesus, we are in awe of your power, your guidance, your stories, your miracles, and your resurrection. Holy Spirit, speak peace to our hearts through your indwelling there. Comfort and assure us in your love and help us to lean into it this morning and this week. Amen.